Hi, I'm Barry Lee with 92.5 Wink FM, excited to host the second season of the City of Winchester's podcast, The Ralph's Review. So in this episode, I'll provide an overview of this week's council meetings and talk with Winchester Fire and Rescue Interim Chief about the city's fire and rescue services. After that, keep listening for the Now You Know segment and some current announcements to keep you informed. So let's get started. Up first is the Council Bluff, a bottom line upfront recap of the September 22nd, 2020 council meetings. At the regular meeting, Council adopted an ordinance that would modify Chapter 26 of the City Code regarding small-cell wireless facilities on public property. Wireless phone providers are authorized to install small-cell facilities within the public right-of-way under certain conditions by the Code of Virginia and other federal regulations. This ordinance modifies City Code so that it's consistent with state and federal regulations. Council continued discussions and approved an ordinance regarding changes to an agreement between the city and Shenandoah University for the improvement of four ball fields in Jim Barnett Park. Since early March, COVID-19 has negatively impacted the community as well as Shenandoah University. As a result, the university wishes to revise the project schedule to break the project into phases. First, they will complete improvements on Bodie Grimm and Hinkle Harris this year in preparation for John Hanley High School's 2021 baseball and softball seasons. The improvements to Bridgeforth and Rotary Fields would be completed in Phase 2 and delayed to a later date next year. During the interim period, Bridgeforth and Rotary would remain with Parks and Recreation for management, maintenance, scheduling, and rental. Council approved a resolution of support for Winchester's first responders and a resolution of support for an agreement for the continuity of a health care services partnership between Valley Health and Anthem of Virginia. At the work session, Council discussed conditional use permits to convert the ground floor of a single-family detached dwelling to multifamily use at 305 North Loudon Street and to construct a non-compliant fence in the front yard of 206 West Wick Street. Both conditional use permits were forwarded to the October 13, 2020 regular meeting for public hearing and official vote. Council discussed a publicly sponsored city code text amendment submitted by a citizen. City code currently allows for the keeping of chickens if a property has two or more acres. The proposed ordinance amendment would open up the regulations to allow for single-family dwellings with less than two acres to keep chickens, provided they meet all the permit regulations contained in the amendment. Council forwarded the item to the October 13th meeting for the first reading. Council discussed a proposed resolution regarding the creation of several council committees. The proposed resolution would authorize the creation of a finance committee, a public safety committee, and a boards and commissions committee. These committees would be delegated the responsibility of conducting work session business concerning specific agenda items prior to being considered, considered by the entire council during regular meetings. The resolution was forwarded to the October 13th regular meeting for official vote. For more information on these topics and to view the agenda packet or to watch the meeting video, visit the City of Winchester website and click Council Meeting Agendas under the Government tab. There's a lot happening at Winchester Fire and Rescue Department, so we thought that we'd invite Interim Chief Haddon Culp to the show to give us an overview. Chief, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you, Barry. Thanks a lot for having me back. So before we get started on the new and exciting activities that are happening at the department, let's talk a little bit about fire and rescue services as it is done here in the city of Winchester. We have a combination system, right? 
Yes, that's correct. We have both paid and volunteer parts of our system to compose the fire and rescue organization. And how does that combination system work when fire and rescue is dispatched for local emergency calls? Well, basically there's four volunteer fire departments and stations in the city, and each volunteer organization provides the building and emergency apparatus at those locations. There's also volunteers who provide staffing, but the bulk of the response to the staffing is provided by city fire and rescue firefighters. These organizations working together is what we call our combination system. Alrighty. Speaking of arriving on scene, what is the department's response time when personnel get the call at the station to arriving on the scene? Well, that is something that we're very proud of. Uh, in fact, in 2019, we responded to over 6,000 calls for service here in the city. Wow. And we're typically on the scene in less than five minutes from the time of dispatch. And this is uh, really a major asset to the community to get to calls for illness or injury or fires very quickly. Wow, very impressive. So here's a question that a lot of people may have. When an EMT or a paramedic is needed on scene of an accident or another emergency, they want to know why does the fire truck sometimes arrive along with the ambulance? Well, sometimes it just takes more than two people on an EMS unit to get the patient safely out of the house or to give them all the treatment that they may require. So on certain types of calls, EMS calls in particular, like a heart attack or um, a haste case where there's a lot of trauma, we will go ahead and send a fire truck that also has trained first responders on it to assist that medic unit. They may need help getting them down out of the third floor or extricated from a car, or if it's a complicated scenario like a heart attack, they may need help with doing compressions, ventilations, communicate with the hospital, administering drugs, or just packaging the patient to help them get transported. Gotcha. The department's been recognized for their cardiac arrest response over the years, so tell us about that and what it means for our community. Well, we like to call our system really a system of care, and this really begins with the bystanders, our citizens out there doing bystander CPR. That is absolutely critical to the successful uh, save rate that we have here. Uh, next comes our dispatchers who gather information from the people uh, making the phone call, and in some cases, they actually provide instructions back to the call takers, I mean, back to the people on the scene uh, to help them uh, with the patient. Then a quick response with qualified personnel, a rapid transport, and a very good medical facility here in town to turn patients over to are all critical parts of uh, providing this service. In fact, due to our efforts with CPR, we've recently gotten in a Gold Plus Award from the American Heart Association that continues our fine tradition of providing this service in recognition to our emergency responders for that. So. It's a great attribute to our department and our community. And congratulations, that's awesome. And I hear you have a couple new assistant chiefs who have been recently appointed. That's correct. We're very honored to uh, have had the opportunity to evaluate candidates and subsequently select Battalion Chief John Henschel and Deputy Chief J.D. Orndorff, both for promotion to assistant chief. They both have been uh, members of the Winchester Fire and Rescue Department for many years. We're fortunate to have them and other folks like them in the fire and rescue system uh, to provide this talent to the community. Excellent. So last year, the city hired a consultant to evaluate the fire and rescue services and to help figure out where improvements could be made. And the master plan was developed for those recommended improvements. Where does the department stand on the master plan implementation? 
Well, that report was provided to the council a few months ago, uh, back in May, and I gave the first uh, quarterly report to the council in June, and I just gave them another update uh, two weeks ago. And one of the things that we've been doing, probably the most critical, is aggressively researching and planning and implementing solutions to some of the recommendations that are identified in the report. So the most important one uh, that we tackled first was to increase the number of personnel that are riding on the fire and uh, on the fire apparatus. So we've done that. That was instituted on September the 5th, and that's been working out very well uh, since since we implemented that. And um, there are many other uh, suggestions that we've also been working on as well. For example, reviewing our policies to bring them up to speed. A lot of internal reviews there and updating and our record, our record keeping for our training hours. We've instituted some new software to uh, keep track of all that uh, training hours that are putting in. Um, and we're also developing training plans to make sure that we're getting all the required training and it's being effectively implemented throughout all the fire and rescue stations. Excellent, so you've made some great progress so far. What are you gonna be working on next? The next thing that we're gonna take a look at is to take a look at how we're providing emergency medical response here in the community. We have three medic units that do a spectacular job, however they're on the road quite a bit and sometimes there just may be another way to provide the assistance that the person in need might have. In other words, we want to keep the medic unit available for critical calls but still want to make sure that the people get support. An example of that might be if somebody has uh, just needs assistance uh, they've fallen onto the floor and need help getting up or tying up a medic unit to go give that assistance. How could we do that another way? Or if we have somebody who has sustained, maybe uh, maybe just wants their blood pressure taken, and instead of sending a medic unit over there to take their blood pressure, there might be another way to provide that, that assistance to the community. So uh, in part with educating the community and looking at other resources or ways to provide service to the community, I think is one of the things that we're gonna take a look at next. Excellent. Well, Fire Prevention Week is coming up next month, and what's the theme this year? This year's theme is to serve up fire safety in the kitchen. And some of the things that we're looking at uh, that we're focusing on really in kitchen safety because cooking is the number one cause of home fires and home-related fire injuries. It's really due to unattended cooking. And so, in fact, we just had a fire last week uh, where, believe it or not, um, the, uh, the citizen who was cooking on their stove, they were boiling water and had a frying pan going, got distracted, children went upstairs, and next thing you know, the fire alarm, smoke alarm's going off and called us and Fortunately, there was a fair amount of damage, but it you know didn't destroy the house, so it was still have, they were still able to live there. But some of the things we're trying to get people to do is to keep the pot handles turned in, so that small children won't try to grab a handle and pull something hot water or you know hot cooking material down onto them, so they sustain burns. Uh, to keep other combustible material away from the burners, you know sometimes our kitchen counters get a little cluttered and yeah. things get too close to the burners and next thing you know you've got a fire again leaving just leaving food unattended is is not a good idea and one of the other things uh, that that we have seen several times is that if you do have a, a fire in a skillet and the skillet happens to catch on fire like you're just cooking some bacon or something like that 
is to have a lid there. You can slip a lid right on top of that frying pan and it will put that fire out almost instantaneously. But what people have a bad habit of doing is they grab that frying pan and try to take it outside. And what happens is when they go about 10 feet, the flames come back and either hit them in the face or on their arms, they drop the frying pan and now the house is totally on fire. Right, right. So the secret is to keep a lid handy Put it on there, and if it's getting out of control, call 911 and get out of the house. Good point. Good, good point. Other than uh, kitchen safety, any other fire tips that you'd like to share with us? Well, um, unfortunately, with the, uh, our recent attempts to make sure everybody's staying safe due to the COVID and everything, we're not going to be quite as uh, prevalent in the community during Fire Prevention Week activities during the month of October. But we do have some exciting videos that we've recently produced, and they'll be available shortly on our webpage. And uh, I also want to say that uh, we want to remind everybody, especially now that it's getting colder, and if there's wood-burning appliances, we always seem to run calls where people shovel their uh, fireplace or wood stove ashes into trash bags or trash cans and they put them outside beside their house and it catches the house on fire. So it takes a long time for ashes to cool off. So to properly dispose of those ashes uh, is critical. Okay, alrighty. You mentioned uh, some videos, uh, you know, to go uh, coincide with Fire Prevention Week. Uh, where can we find those? Well, they'll be available on our Fire and Rescue social media pages like the uh, the the fire department website as well as our facebook page as well as the city's youtube channel and on comcast uh, cable channel six excellent chief thank you so much anything else you'd like to cover before we let you go just to remind uh, one last uh, pitch about making sure you have a good working smoke detector you need to test those weekly and replace the batteries twice a year and there's absolutely no reason why anybody here in the city should not have a smoke detector. If you do not have a smoke detector, please contact our office and we'll make sure we get one to you. Excellent. Thanks again, Chief, for being on the show. We thank you and your team for the service you give to our community and stay safe out there. Thank you. It's our pleasure. And now it's time for the Now You Know segment, where we talk about interesting city of Winchester facts you may not be aware of or important information you need to know. This week's segment provides fire safety tips for Halloween from the National Fire Protection Association at nfpa.org education. When choosing a Halloween costume, stay away from long trailing fabric. If your child is wearing a mask, make sure the eye holes are large enough so that he or she can see out. Provide children with flashlights to carry for lighting or glow sticks as part of their costume. Use a battery-operated candle or glow stick and jack-o'-lanterns. If you use a real candle, use extreme caution. Make sure children are watched at all times when candles are lit, and when lighting candles inside jack-o'-lanterns, use long, fireplace-style matches or a utility lighter. Be sure to place lit pumpkins well away from anything that can burn and far enough out of the way of trick-or-treaters, doorsteps, walkways, and yards. Remember to keep exits clear of decorations so that nothing blocks escape routes. Make sure all smoke alarms in the home are working. Tell children to stay away from open flames, including jack-o'-lanterns with candles in them. Be sure they know how to stop, drop, and roll if their clothing catches fire. Have them practice stopping immediately, dropping to the ground, covering their face with their hands, and rolling over and over to put the flames out. 
And did you know that decorations are the first thing to ignite in 800 reported home fires each year? Dried flowers, corn stalks, and crepe paper catch fire really easily. Keep all decorations away from open flames and other heat sources like light bulbs and heaters. More than one-third of fires involving decorations were started by a candle, so be sure to blow out all candles when you leave the room or when you go to bed. Avoid the use of candles in the bedroom and other areas where people may fall asleep. More than one-third of home candle fires started in the bedroom. Keep candles at least one foot away from anything that can burn. Use candle holders that are sturdy and won't tip over easily, and never use a candle if oxygen is used in the home. Have flashlights and battery-powered lighting ready to use during a power outage. Never use candles. And remember, never leave a child alone in a room with a burning candle. Keep matches and lighters up high and out of children's reach in a locked cabinet. And lastly, consider using flameless candles in your home. They look and smell like real candles. Well, if you didn't know before, now you know. And in our final segment, some announcements to keep you informed. Governor Northam announced today that Rebuild Virginia, the $70 million economic recovery fund launched in August, is expanding its eligibility criteria to allow more small businesses to apply. Businesses that received funding from the Federal Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security, or CARES Act, and supply chain partners of business whose normal operations were impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic are now eligible to receive grants of up to $10,000. For more information, visit governor.virginia.gov slash rebuildva. The Virginia Department of Social Services has launched a new COVID-19 energy assistance program. Eligible households will receive a one-time payment of $300 to address their immediate energy costs, including energy debt accumulated during the COVID-19 pandemic. Applications can be submitted online through the COVID-19 Virginia Resources mobile app or by phone until Friday, November 20th, 2020, as long as funds are available. For more information and to apply, visit vaservices.dss.virginia.com gov slash cares. And all parents of pooches 16 weeks and older are invited to register their pups for basic obedience classes at Jim Barnett Park. The course will be held on Saturdays, October 3rd through November 7th at 10 a.m. on Amphitheater Hill in Jim Barnett Park. Registration will close September 30th and proof of rabies vaccination is required. Visit winchesterva.gov parks for details and to register online. Or you can call 540-662-4946. Designated times for drop-in pickleball at the Jim Barnett Park Gym for ages 21 and up will begin on October 6th. Check the park website under facilities for the schedule. The latest episode of the Winchester Police Department's true crime podcast, Defrost, has been posted online. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Anchor, or visit winchesterpolice.org slash defrostpodcast. And last but certainly not least, mark your calendars with these two announcements. First, city offices, the rec center, courts, and Wintran will be closed on Columbus Day, October the 12th. Recycling collection on that Monday is moved to Wednesday, October the 14th. Yard waste is canceled on Wednesday that week. These cancellations and closures 
were not included in the city's annual informational calendar, so be sure to add them. And also, the city will be holding a dedication ceremony for the new Ruth Jackson Memorial Park at the corner of East Cecil and South Kent Streets on Thursday, October 15th at 11 a.m. The community is invited to attend and pay tribute to Ms. Jackson and her former restaurant, Ruth's Tea Room. In case of inclement weather, the event will be moved to Thursday, October 22nd at 11 a.m. Well, that's it for this week's Rouse Review Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Barry Lee with 92.5 Wink FM. We'll be back on the second Thursday in October at 5 p.m. So long for now and stay safe. 